Hello and welcome to the Unusual Dialogues. Um, today I'm hosting an interview with Jordan from Cheap Shot. Hello Jordan. Hello. Nice to see you here my friend. Finally we got it and finally we were able to speak. I remember initially we were supposed to talk on Revel Answer podcast. That's in the past. Uh, let's, uh, let's be in the present. And before you start, I just wanted to mention to our listeners, um, Jordan is actually a person that I've met through Christy, who was featured on the podcast before about the Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro journey and all kinds of crazy stuff she got around to do. Uh, so I'm really, really happy that we got to cross our paths. And uh, then, first and foremost, could you briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, yeah, of course. So I'm, uh, I'm Jordan. At the minute, I'm running like a small police box coffee shop called Cheap Shop, um, which is like across from Bristol Square on Marshall Street in Edinburgh. It's very specific Edinburgh geography. I um, don't know what more you need. I'm 23, just graduated last year, and this is kind of my first job out of uni. And yeah, excited to see where the podcast takes us. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so first and foremost, it's quite crazy that uh, I don't think many people out there realize and maybe they don't even have it, but all around Edinburgh and I assume all around Scotland? I think it's most, I think there's a couple in Glasgow and a couple in London, but it's mostly Edinburgh, the, um, the police boxes are, if that's where you're going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, um, the, the idea of changing those, uh, what, 19th century police boxes into into or 18th maybe even i think ours is 90 years old i think some of them got to 100 years old um and they were used like before phones and radios essentially for police to sit in and now a lot of them are defunct and rusty but a few people have converted them into food businesses and coffee shops and um i think there's even just ones that are used as billboards and stuff now as well wonderful yeah and that's that's really cool if anything that was a fun fact that my family liked a lot uh, when I when I showed you uh, when I showed them yours as well, but you were close at the time. Um, so okay, let's rewind back before we jump into the business side. I wanted to ask you what is your background and um, you know where where are you from? What are the origins and how did you come about to be an entrepreneur at such a young age? Um, well, I was I was originally born in Edinburgh. Um, didn't stay here long after I was first born. I was born to my, my mother who was at the time coming off a seven year stretch of homelessness and my dad who was a, a fairly recent immigrant to the country and they both came from a kind of rougher scene, I suppose, being homeless on the streets. It was uh, Leith that I was originally from. So I don't know if like if people know Edinburgh well enough, Leith in the 90s was notoriously like the heroin capital of the world, which is something my dad got mixed up in. Um, and just very like a, a rough area at the time. Um, so like, I stayed in Edinburgh until I was three and then my situation with my dad wasn't too great and my mom thought it was a good idea to remove me. So she sold everything we owned and moved us out to Australia for I think it was like six or seven months and then resettled in Edinburgh, moved around a little bit when I was a kid um, and ended up in Aberdeen when I was about eight years old and stayed there um, until moving back. So all the way through secondary school and all the way through university. Yeah, wonderful. And I, I remember us saying earlier on before the podcast started uh, uh, that your mum actually applied or sent a letter to Buckingham Palace. What's that about? Yeah, so it's, it's um, I, think, I think the best way to preface a lot of where my drive comes from or my character comes from is from my mum. And like that initial idea to take me away from my dad, that kind of ingenuity and, and um, I guess drive... Um, followed through in, in the rest of her actions raising me so uh, she was like a, a very attentive mother and just worked her ass off so she initially started off as a stripper um, just because she she was 
homeless from 15, so no school qualifications. It's the only thing she could do. So she worked um, bars and strip clubs and she worked the pole and strip clubs as well. Uh, sustained an injury from that uh, and, and was fired. So from there, she we moved to Aberdeen and that's when she, she actually wrote a book about her time being homeless. Uh, again, just applying herself any way she could when she was unable to work. And then went on to just do a lot of odd jobs cleaning after that. But we were very, like very poor when I was growing up. It was um, like very breadline stuff. I know every time we moved, it was like a, a blow up mattress for a, quite a few months before we got bed sorted. And um, mostly being kind of on the dole council housing while she was earning money on the side. And she, I think the story that she uh, told me was, I can't remember the exact thing, but I think she was in a doctor's office and saw this um, flyer for the UK Sailing Academy, so the UKSA. And on the back of it, she basically had applied to this and was not getting anywhere. And on the back of it, it said um, that it was funded by the, the royals, by Buckingham Palace. So she wrote a letter to Buckingham Palace basically saying, I think she says like, me and my son eat rice three times a day um, and I'm applying to this thing and I can't get in, like what are you gonna do about it? And Princess Anne wrote back and Princess Anne essentially flew us out to the Isle of Wight. Um, I remember I was like, I was, must have been like five years old, maybe five, six years old. And we were meeting like Princess Anne, met the, the mayor of the Isle of Wight at this like big shindig. And my mom got a scholarship to move to Australia and train as a rescue diver and windsurfing instructor. So uh, we went out there shortly after, yeah. That is that is so unique. I yeah, I I find that amazing as well that they wrote back. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's not the usual um, circumstance, I guess. But at the same time, I don't know how many people try. So this you is know. true. I think like anything, it's a it's a good chunk of luck and like a little bit of initiative. Yeah, you definitely need initiative to 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 create your own luck. That's beautiful, okay, and uh, I guess because of that, and as you said, uh, your mom's drive to, uh, you know, to, to push you through um, maybe a better way of living that she experienced at a young age, um, you, you gained the abilities, <laughs> let's say, or the drive to continue. But there is also the, um, the other edge of that sword, isn't it? So tell me something about that. Uh, yeah, no, it, it definitely, like you say, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think it's it's a it's a way. I mean, everyone grows up with their own kind of individual trauma, but it's a it's a way that trauma was manifested for me through these kind of like awesome experiences, where my mom didn't really have a choice um, to work extremely hard. It was work extremely hard, or you know, we couldn't pay rent, we couldn't eat, uh, and she did that for many years. And when we came back from Australia, she actually started her own business. So all of her kind of lessons learned over the years working hard got to the point where she could start that business started it from our living room um, and she used to just have classes through the nights so i'd be sitting in my bedroom and she'd have women coming in and teaching them pole dancing as a uh, like a fitness exercise and it was very about female empowerment and taking back what she felt had been kind of taken when she was stripping um, and they giving women their sexuality and, and then their strength back physically and she built that up into the point where she had a studio on the high street in aberdeen this was a uh, right in the midst of like the 2008 recession essentially so she managed to build a business in the recession and, and sustain it throughout and uh, that that drive did leave her um, and that, that need to be driven left her hospitalized twice with exhaustion uh, and to this point too she's she's a, a very hard-working woman and sometimes I need to tell her like pump the brakes and, and take a holiday and that was something I think I not so much in school but outside of school I got I was very like dedicated in school, but I was, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at home. So I was never really pulling great grades or anything. 
and I started working um, for the family business, doing cleaning stuff at 13. Went on to do odd jobs in stalls and, and art galleries when I was 14, 15, and then started working pretty heavily from 16 to, to the point where I started university, actually. So in university, I started uh, with a part-time retail supervisor position. So that was Monday to Friday was uni, and then the weekends was supervising. And then you're trying to like ram in freshers and partying and stuff as well. Um, and I very much, you know, use that as a bit of a, a vice, the working, the always being busy. Um, and you do wear yourself out. And I was lucky enough to uh, get gifted, a, given a scholarship from like an essay I'd written, uh, which was a scholarship for kind of disadvantaged people at the time, um, which allowed me to quit my job and kind of focus more on university as well. So the, the grades turned there a little bit. Um, but I've definitely have to be hyper aware that like, now I'm no longer in that situation where I am as poor as I was as a kid, that I'm not taking those kind of overworking and grinding too hard into my life these days. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, a, you know, in terms of how our society is formed, at least over the past hundred years, let's say, um, I think this is a trap that anyone can fall into. I find myself being constantly chasing than the other mountain um, to the point that yeah at some point you need to realize like okay it's it's time to pump the brakes as you said yes that's a really yeah. cool impression expression i'm gonna you know, steal that from you no, please do. um okay so yeah you finished uni and uh, let's talk a little bit about the business so it's a police box uh, coffee shop but like, how did that come about? Why did uni offer you that job? Um, so it wasn't through the university actually, it was a, a, an independent venture from this gentleman, Paddy, who is, I'm, he hates the word my, my boss, he's not my boss, um, he, but he owns the, the business. Um, and he started that after university, he finished and he decided that he wanted to you know, run a police box coffee shop and he started it in 2017, ran it for a couple of years, um, built it up like you know I remember speaking to him about those kind of early days of you know he had these graphs put together of like here's what I need to be earning to pay off what you know what I've invested and the the kind of pre-earning that amount and then post-earning that amount and, and enjoying the job and a lot of it was just I think he really loved the experience um, and I can only speak for him so much but it got, it got to the point where he it was his time to move on and I don't think he wanted to to give up the box or sell the box so we started running it as a grad scheme um, and I think from what I gather, it's just to give other people the opportunity to get that experience he got. Um, so I always say to people, it's like, it's the perfect in between where you get this experience of running a small business and being an entrepreneur, but you don't take on the, like the great stress of setting up a small business and all the risk that comes with it, where you are like the, the one who's completely liable. So um, thank you, Paddy, for being completely liable for the business I run, because if everything <laughs> went wrong, he is a... He is the sole trader. He is essentially the business. So it would be his uh, his cost to bear. Um, so yeah, he ran it and did the, gra did the grad scheme thing. And he hired um, a girl called Mel afterwards who ran it tremendously for two years. She was there through the start of COVID. So she started, I think, about six months before COVID. And then obviously that happened and hospitality took a huge nosedive. nosedive and she had to um, think of a lot of ways to just keep the community of people who got coffee there invested and keep the business going and she ended up doing it for two years and he did a fantastic job and then she was the one who alongside Paddy hired me and she did trained me up and, and I'm very happy to say that we've become really close friends as well she's um, a, a very good a very cool person to know and a very good person to have when you're like panicking 
in the coffee shop, like, what do I do? Something's gone wrong. I always like text Mel and I'm like, what would you do in this situation? And um, it's like a nice little support system having the two of them there. So is, are they still around or is it uh, via phone and uh, video calls that you're, you know, keeping yeah. in touch? Yeah, it's all kind of remote now. So um, they've, they've both left Edinburgh and kind of moved on to do other things. I think they both initially did masters afterwards. I know they've both moved on to do other things, yeah. Okay, and uh, so what is the process, um, just to give a little background to what I uh, thought it's going to be, um, I thought that it's a sort of a competition that you enter to win that position for a year. Um, what is the actual process? Um, it's just just an application process, like slightly dissimilar to, to other application processes, but in the same way you'd apply for other jobs, essentially. Um, I had to contact Mel. Mel sent me an application form. The one difference is that that form doesn't really have any prescriptive stuff you need to, to give. It kind of outlines all the basic stuff of running a coffee shop. Like your, you know, first of all, you have to sell coffee. You have to manage your suppliers. You have to be able to contact new vendors, all that sort of basic stuff. But I know in the form it says, you know, anyone can learn this stuff. What we really want to know is like the extra personality, the extra character that you might have or you might bring and some cool experiences of things you've done in the past. Um, and I was very fortunate at the time, I, I think I had like one or two reports left in university when I'd, uh, when I'd seen the application and it was exactly down the street of what I wanted to do because through university I had worked um, a lot of corporate oil and gas stuff. So I've not mentioned this to you before, but yeah, I did a few months as like a, an internal audit for an oil and gas company and then I did a year placement as like contracts in the contracts department as a, an assistant. So just kind of amending contracts for oil and gas off of different like templates and doing reports and kind of very general stuff. Um, that led into COVID and then COVID lasted my whole dissertation year. And I was just like, I don't want to be stuck behind a desk next year. I want to be like outdoors. I want to be talking to people. Uh, and my flatmate said, here's a job that you're outdoors and you're talking to people. Um, so I applied for it and I was, like I said, fortunate enough to have the time on my hands to um, put together quite like an extensive application. So I built a website for my application um, and I put like a video on the website. Mel had done a podcast over COVID with uh, her customers. So I did a little podcast segment on the website and all this sort of little bits and bobs. Um, and I, I tried to make it just very fun for me to do. I was like, if I'm, if I'm not going to get this job, at least I've had fun making this website. And yeah, no, it, it worked well for them. And then after that, it was a, a two stages of interviews and I, I was uh, offered the job. That was wonderful. Yeah, and that's, that's quite, uh, you know, especially with uh, the oil administration, I guess, uh, the business around that area, that's something quite unusual for a grad student to have under their, under their belt. It's usually the customer service that everyone can provide. Mm -hmm. But to know the intricacies of administration, which is the most scary part for me of running a business, um, yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And um, then the website on top of that, that's, you know, also your, your extra edge. I don't know how many people applied for it. I don't know, you know, if you know, but it sounds like you, ma you made that extra mile. Yeah, I do, I do think, um, I do think there, was, there was quite a few applicants. Um, and I, I've spoken to both Mel and Paddy and they said it was actually, it was quite close between me and someone else. And there was other people who'd done websites as well. And they they weren't in the in they weren't contending for it, and the person who was alongside me had just done a more kind of traditional report, and and it looked and it was very well put together, and their experience was very good, 
So I think um, if, if anyone's listening who might be applying for the next um, round, I think it's important to, to not compare to previous years or like I remember like Mel had built an Instagram profile and put all of it in an Instagram profile. So I was like, oh, I've got to build something too. But I think it was important just that I had fun with it and I like put myself into it. And I had done, already made a couple of websites with that free time that I'd spoke about on my last year uni. I'd already made a few videos, so it was more comfortable for me. But I think picking a medium that was comfortable and just like showing yourself through that medium is like the most important thing. Um, and yeah, some of the people that applied against me, um, I've, I've since kind of found out either through conversations with them or whatever who they are. And had I'd known that they were applying, I probably wouldn't have gone for it. So it's a, luckily for me, it's a, you never know that going in, but like there were some really impressive people who went for the job. That's a very good point actually. And I think I would definitely echo that for you guys listening that, uh, you know, whenever you're applying for a job, whenever you're going for a competition, the moment you're focusing on the other people, you're looking behind, you know, you cannot run forward with looking back. Like that's the way that you trip. <laughs> uh, and uh, and for me that was a big part of uh, of the application to the job that I got recently and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna explore that in the podcast later on but uh, also like you know if you get yourself wrapped up in thinking who else is going and really research them then from your subjective standpoint those people are just gonna crush you uh, yes and so for sure that's a healthy healthy habit not to take up <laughs> um okay so let's see for a moment um let's uh, let's have a little dreaming session i wanted to ask you then you know it's gonna finish soon soonish because it's at the end of the august that uh, you're supposed to give back the keys yes yeah so um i'll be ceremoniously handing them over to whoever we we hire so the hiring process is over the next couple months do you participate in it? Uh, yeah, so it's something I'm very excited for. I think it'll be a good bit of experience. Um, and I'm excited to be on the side of it too because I remember I was, it was so nerve-wracking um, doing the interviews because obviously these are people I'd, I'd stalked their Instagram, I'd seen their faces making coffee and stuff and loads of photos and then they're live in front of me talking on, on Zoom. So it'll be nice to be on the other side of it and be a little bit less nervous. Um, and, and yeah, I'm excited to see what kind of people apply as well. Yeah, and help those people go through that stress because you know how it feels for sure. And um, so what, well, of course, you know, uh, we like to make sketches of the future. The future unfolds itself. But um, do you have any idea what you'd like to go next and to do? To do? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm currently exploring all my options, but I've got no kind of concrete plans. I'm just starting to decide things that I want to have done I guess is a better way of looking at it um I, I don't want to set any like hard targets of like this many things by this age but um my, my dad's side of the family is all Port Portuguese and Mozambican um so I've got a, a pretty good relationship with like my, my grandparents over there and my, and my aunties um but I don't speak Portuguese so that's like one thing I want to do is go live in Portugal and fully immerse myself and, and learn the language because I used to speak it okay as a kid and it's just it's just gone over the years um, so that's one thing and kind of finding a job that allows me to maybe work there remotely um, just get a bit of experience I think over the next few years I'm feeling a bit less focused on what I'm doing as, and more on if I'm kind of enjoying it if the team around me is, is good or if the workplace and the environment is good I'm like happy to try new things and dip into different things as long as um, I can back the company and back the people I'm working with and have enough time to you know 
endeavor in learning new languages or you know picking up new hobbies and stuff like that yeah and if it if it wasn't a matter of uh, your skill set right now or money that would come from it what uh, kind of job would you be looking for interesting i think um probably something voluntary if if you know if my if i won the lottery tonight i think it'd be really cool to get involved in in possibly ngo work or something more on the ground um would be really cool and i've always been interested in the uh the kind of more communication and marketing side of that stuff as well and being able to get in there and deliver a message that you believe um convincingly and, and i think it's like I, I initially started my degree with marketing and then switched to international business and it was because the marketing felt disingenuous it felt like this idea of you know selling someone a starbucks coffee and all of the fanfare that goes with it to make you buy a coffee whereas it, it feels a bit prop like your propaganda uh, using propaganda to, to sell things people don't really want whereas if it's you know a cause you can really back then i feel like that propaganda that marketing is justified yeah definitely i think you know the the approach that we have to sales is uh, um, somewhat distorted maybe because we are also the victims of the sales pitches that you know are constantly screaming for our attention um, but coming i think to come to terms with a sale to the point that you feel comfortable about, you first need to believe it, that it's going to actually help people. Yes. Uh, and, and, and if anything, that's what I wish to anyone out there who would like to sell their product cause at the end, or the service. Because at the end of the day, if you know within yourself that you're not actually giving someone the value that they're giving you back in the money or whatever else, it's gonna feel a bit jittery and and that's where the salesmen come in and you know offer you all those pills and snake oil and and figuring out your life just by a click of a button you know get abs in 10 minutes and all that crap <laughs> wonderful so in that case i you know coming to the um landmark and the milestone of our podcast and finishing it i wanted to encourage you and this is always spontaneous because i love the spontaneity <laughs> of it I'd like you to leave our audience with something from yourself that it can be either a, you know, a word of caution, a word of advice, an encouragement, something that you feel the world out there, if someone would actually listen to this little piece, um, could go on and take. Um, yeah, uh, so a friend of mine says this all the time, and they say, they say be, be kind to yourself, essentially, which I think is a, is a given, but people forget. Um, and in a more... Um, I guess a deeper sense I think there's a, a quote from Eckhart Tolle where he says essentially some podcast I heard him say that you you know when you say I could have done better in a situation you couldn't have because you if you could have done better you were more conscious in that situation you would have done better so you know not to carry guilt forward but to learn the lesson and just be nice to yourself when you're doing it and um, make sure you're having fun that is wonderful and uh, this is crazy guys that's just synchronicity in place because uh, actually i was thinking today about the the next episode for for the original let's say podcast and uh, i was thinking about uh, trying to maybe create a little podcast about self-esteem versus uh, you know self-love um, because i i notice it in myself and and i think this is something that you as you said definitely we forget plenty of times so thank you for that and thank you for sharing your little story with us. No, I'm, I'm more than happy to and it's been really fun being on this, yeah. Thank you. Other than that, guys, as always, have a nice week, stay happy, stay healthy 
and we'll see you next time.